Tonight, keeping drug companies honest, a story that's simply stunning about multi-million dollar profits and illegal activity at this country's biggest drug company. The Justice Department alleges Johnson & Johnson boosted sales by paying millions of dollars in kickbacks to pharmacists and doctors who pushed the drug Risperdal to patients who did not need it. The medical editors of that journal accused the drug company Merck of misleading them about the dangers of Vioxx, of hiding the fact that it caused even more heart attacks than previously known. Johnson & Johnson paid $2.2 Eli Lilly paid $1.4 Pfizer and its subsidiary paid $2.3 And GlaxoSmithKline paid out a record $3 billion. For seven years, Glaxo failed to report data showing its best-selling diabetes drug. Avandia increased the risk of heart attack by as much as 40%. Opioid epidemic has killed more than 400,000 Americans. Tonight, Purdue agreeing to pay more than $8 billion in penalties. Antidepressant Paxil wasn't approved for use by patients under 18. The company illegally marketed the drug for use by children, even when a clinical trial found teenagers who took the drug for depression were more likely to commit suicide than those taking a placebo. Purdue Pharma pleading guilty to felony charges of defrauding federal health agencies and violating federal kickback laws for inducing doctors to prescribe those powerful opioids. Glaxo also hired a company to write a medical journal article downplaying the risks. The firm used PR firms and paid several doctors, including the U.S. celebrity doctor, Drew Pinsky, to promote the drug. If you can't trust medical research that gets published in very established journals, what can you trust? But as Bob Orr reports, the massive settlement may not lead to much change. Is fraud the business model of the pharmaceutical industry? No one's going to jail. No one's going to prison. And worse yet, they've set up a situation where Purdue's going to be able to continue on. You look at this thing, and I mean, if Pfizer is too big to fail, and even the biggest fine in history is just a few months' profit, then what's going to stop it from illegally promoting other drugs? Critics say Anderson nothing. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Friday, July 22nd, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. I'd like to give a early shout-out to Star Wilson. Say welcome back. You guys see you in the chat. We've got a great show planned for you today. Something that's a little bit, it's connected to the same the kind of big pharma discussion. But something that if you've been following the last American Vagabond for a long time, longer than COVID-19, then you've known that we've been focusing, well, I shouldn't say focusing on more than ever before COVID. It was pretty much focused on foreign policy before that, more so health and, and cannabis law reform. But that we had a, a big focus for a while, or at least a, a spotlight on big pharma discussions, things like antidepressants or, or things that weren't what they seemed very relevant today now because more people are beginning to ask the question what else we're being lied to about i mean just that opening clip is just astounding i it, this, this is something we've known and the government and the media play their roles at that point the the goal i guess the game was either to let them do what they wanted or to highlight that problem for a certain reason now it's the exact opposite you're not allowed to call that out the same arguments made about let's say the iraq war well, during that time, it was completely, uh, you weren't allowed to call out the things that we could see. You weren't allowed to attack foreign policy. You weren't allowed to do, and then things shift. And now it's okay to point back and say, oh, well, we didn't do this right. And they knew, and they were hiding things. And But during the fervor, you can't do that. Same with now. You can't attack the vaccine gospel. 
trust the science as the science comes overflowing with all the information we keep saying. So we're going to go to start today with another important study. One, sorry, this is bugging me. One important study to start with that I am in just, I mean, I, let's put it this way. I'm not shocked at all that this is the reality. This is exactly what I thought, exactly what the research I've seen from before was saying. But what I'm shocked to see, or I guess just surprised to see during this COVID-19 illusion for this story to come out where they're saying, look, antidepressants not only don't do what we say they do, not only is that not even the reason why you should take them, or rather more so that the argument that you have low serotonin levels are why you have depression. So on both sides of the argument, it's not actually doing what they say they're doing. The drug is not producing what they say it is at all. That's the meta-analysis, which means the studies they already had showed you that. They just happened to look at them at one time together. And then on top, on the, on the secondary part of it, that what they're saying causes depression is not even actually what causes depression. Uh, Aaron Mate's father, uh, Gabor Mate, is somebody who's been doing amazing research on this topic for a really long time. He's highly, that's somebody I recommend highly for a lot of different topics, but it's incredible to see. So then you got to stand back and go, well, wait a minute. What about all the people that have been taking this under that guise and, and being hurt by it? You know, like the, the drug that's supposed to stop depression that ends up causing suicide. Oops, you know, our bad. Well, what about all the positives it's done? Well, what about the fact that it were or was not causing any positives. There's a lot of negative side effects associated with this. And so this, of course, should be an, an overarching point that ties into COVID-19. Even if you don't believe that we're right about what we're seeing from these injections, you have to acknowledge that they could be wrong, that they could be selling you on something. And again, even if you want to pretend that they didn't know the antidepressants weren't working and covered it up and tried to make money off it anyway, like the opioid crisis, same exact thing. You could argue that they just didn't know. But still with that point, you have to stand back and go, well, just with that being the reality, everybody has a right to stand back and go, well, I'm going to wait to see how this pans out. And just to be clear, whether or not that story was there, you always have that right. And you always have the ability to say, I'm not going to do it. Of course, they're just trying to scare you and threaten you and force you into it. And pretend like they can force you to do those things. They can't. But that's a big topic we're going to get into early on this. And of course, talk about Pfizer and how that's happening today with the Pfizer tracker and everything else. But we're also going to get into some, some important cover-ups around the CDC. Both the two big stories today are going to be right out of the gate. And this is an important one from uh, Epic Times showing you that the CDC, and this is something we already told you, we've already discussed, but this is a more specific point on this where they're saying the CDC is refusing to, to disclose who, the, who the, the personnel are at the CDC that are covering theirs and researching the things that they say they're tireless, tirelessly researching to make sure that they're not real. That's not happening. We've proven this 15 different ways. There, I'm going to reference the thing we just did um, I think, let's see, it doesn't, I'll get to it in a minute, but the, it was a month ago, let's say, where it turned out that via FOIA request, it was shown that the CDC wasn't even looking at these VAERS data, at the VAERS data. Now we come to find out when somebody reaches out via FOIA and says, we need to know who those people are that are supposed to be looking at this data, even because we just shout out you weren't even really looking at it, and they hid those people's names. Of course, arguing, can you guess? Well, of course, they'd be attacked by the anti-vaxxers. Well, that's not exactly. They, they said that they would be harassed and threatened. By who? The people that support them? The argument is that they want you to believe that these people are going to be at threat from the thing that they're painting as the maniacal, maniac, anti-vaxxer crowd that's not based in science. And so it's a foregone, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. As we are going, well, we want to find out their names because we want to find out who's accountable for why does not do for not doing what they say they're doing or find out that there is nobody in that position, right? 
They're just acting like you're a bad person before you even get into this conversation. Therefore, we're not going to let you see those names because you're just going to attack and harass them. Well, I think there's more than enough peer-reviewed science showing that there's danger and damage happening here. They just don't want you to see it. We'll get into that and we'll go through why I think they're covering this up. I think it's quite obvious and continue to show you one of the studies we recently showed you, but I, I, I haven't. I hadn't put these two studies together in my mind yet. And this is one that we just talked about during that time. We discussed the CDC not looking at Bayer's and the study we talked about then was citing a 12.5 per 10,000 risk of serious adverse events from Pfizer or rather the combined risk from both the mRNAs. And I can't believe I didn't think about that, how serious that was then talking about Germany admitting one in 5,000, 12.5 and 10,000 is 1.5 more per 5,000. That's incredible. So that's two different stuff, or rather one peer-reviewed study and a German health ministry talking about this, showing you that there is dramatic risk from these things. It just doesn't happen to find its way on CNN or Fox News. Very, very telling. Now we'll also get into a couple points about children and vaccines and what the risks that are being taken and how there's a good point to this, that it does not seem that children are rather that parents are pushing their children to get these injections or allowing them to be. It's important. We're also going to talk about Biden and getting sick and the weird press briefing that was just held and how they're like refusing to contact trace while saying that because they didn't say they didn't, that they that you should assume that we are. It's just, it is ridiculous dumpster fire type stuff that we're seeing from the white house today. I'll show you myself arguing that like insultingly, how dare you even ask? Because you know that we'll tell you if we, so if you asking imply, it's just, you'll see what I mean. It's, it's embarrassing. Think about how Orwellian that is that by default, if they didn't say it, that means that there wasn't information. <laughs> it's just like, that's ridiculous. And then masks, another really important study of Japan that shows you that these things are collecting all sorts of dangerous things. One of which perfectly relates to a monkeypox part that I'm going to make. And then we're going to finish talking about the rising cases and perfectly correlating with the PCR push that we talked about in the beginning of the year. Big surprise there, or not at all. And then climate change, of course, to finish off the conversation, getting into, I was about to sneeze right there, getting into how this has been pushed and how they knew it was something they were going to focus on, pointing back again to the uh, the Project Veritas video that pointed this out, was reposted again, and it was perfectly timed for what I was going to discuss today. And finish off with a couple of important videos, realizing actually right now that I didn't grab this, but let me see. Yeah, maybe I'll just play it on there. It's loud enough. I have a great video from Tony Heller that I want to play as well today. But to start off, I want to show you some censorship that I think is just unbelievable. I mean, all of it's unbelievable. All of it is unjust. But this is a group that has been fighting. That is, it's, it's like this is censoring doctors by a social media platform for discussing medicine and that's the craziest part about this is that we have numerous examples of doctors talking about medicine that that, that is their field and being censored by a platform that as far as i know doesn't hire any doctors and then scientists being censored for discussing their field of science by platforms that don't hire scientists i mean this is just so very clear what's happening and narrative control now, whether or not they do, let's just say they hire scientists and doctors. This is a group, a, this, as it says, Twitter suspended the World Council of Health. It isn't one or two fringe doctors. It's a coalition of thousands of doctors from around the world with decades of scientific and medical expertise focused on saving lives. They just happen to have a different opinion about what's happening. Twitter has hit a new low, as Texas Lindsay points out. They're permanently suspended. 
This is a group that has been consistently standing by your rights and showing peer-reviewed science and discussing this from a from a stance of expertise. They are doctors with degrees. They are sci- and it's Twitter is censoring them because they went against the narrative. Because Twitter is trusting fact-check groups that also don't hire scientists, but rather just point out the narrative that challenges what they're saying and calls that fake news because, well, we're the fact-checkers, right? Despite how many times fact-checkers have been laughingly made to be, I mean, let's just take the fact-checkers from the Ukraine war. How about that? Like, what other more examples do you need? (laughs) The ghost of Kiev, and every one of those were fact-checked and then shown to be false. I mean, this this is the clown world that we live in right now. It's, it's very sad. Now, unfortunately, they were censored, and I hope you will take the time to support them. Here's their Telegram channel, by the way, right at the bottom of that link, because they're doing good work. Now, whether or not you agree with everything they have to say, they've shown themselves to become from a place of your best interest from the very beginning. Oh, and then I just said, so this coalition of thousands of doctors with credentials expertise apparently knows less about science and medicine than Twitter's algorithm. <laughs> right, think about that. Because let's not pretend this is not some Twitter guy back there going, oh, you're a liar. It could be. But by and large, these are algorithmic censorship. Or it is. So what you're literally being told is that their algorithm, which was punched in by somebody that works at Twitter that doesn't have a degree in science or medicine, and that's deciding that this entire coalition of doctors is fake news because they challenged the narrative that the government and the media have decided on. I said, or it's all about desperate narrative control. Pretty sure Twitter does not hire doctors or scientists. Now, going into the beginning of this, there's an important discussion I want to make clear before we talk about the antidepressant discussion, the the point here, that there is a lot, a lot happening today that is being, that rests on what they tell you you're supposed to think. But really, that's always how this has been, guys. We need to be real about this. But this is an interesting example to start this off about things that they push and say, well, rather, let's just say they they shove the narrative in your face from a position that they've already made. Except when you read in just barely into this, you find out, well, wait a minute. This has nothing really to do with the unvaccinated causing some kind of outbreak, which is how they always want this to look. This is AP News. New York reports its first U.S. polio case in nearly a decade. Of course, just how very telling it is this all seems to happen right around the, the, the budding biosecurity state. It's like, why didn't it happen in the last 10 years? It's been the same situation. Well, it's, just, it's ridiculous. They point at the Disneyland conversation, but this... Not to, I don't want to derail into that. We discussed that at the time. All of these are rooted in manipulation. And here's why I can show you very clearly. Thank you for who showed me this. Somebody actually reached out to me and pointed this out. An unvaccinated young adult from New York recently contracted polio. Now, this is just, let's just put aside for the minute whether or not they actually got polio and whether or not this is actually what happened and whether or not this is not just completely made up. Like, we should ask these questions today. Why? Because they've been caught doing all of those things. Not to say that we're going to start from a place of assuming that this isn't real, because that would also be stupid, but just ask the question. Seeing as how the media has roundly been caught making things up, lying, altering facts, we should consider that. But let's just take for the sake of conversation at face value that this person got polio. An unvaccinated young adult. Now, what does it mean unvaccinated? Are they talking about COVID-19? Are they talking about all vaccines or specifically polio? Again, let's just for sake of conversation, assume that they meant just polio. I'm just pointing out the broad and flimsy nature of this Associated Press journalistic article. What you know, the, the idea that it should be very clearly defined what you mean by unvaccinated, especially at a time when that word's never been more used associated with COVID-19. But let's just go forward from there. So this hypothetically speaking, unvaccinated person specifically and only for polio who is who got polio in New York is a big case and a big deal now. 
highlighting the risks of having only only even one person not be vaccinated ruins it for everybody. The same broken and not logic logic about masks they push on you, right? If you don't wear a mask, we're all screwed. It's just so silly. But here's the main point. It appears the patient had a vaccine-derived strain of the virus. Like, that's the third paragraph. Perhaps from someone who got it live, got live vaccine. Oh, you mean the one that Bill Gates pushed and the oral vaccine that they did in, in, in Africa that went crazy and killed a lot of people that we don't like to talk about? Yeah, that's what they're talking about, but not saying. Available in other countries, but not the U.S. And spread it, official said. So the bottom line is, regardless of whether this person was unvaccinated, the logic was supposed to be that it's been, it's been annihilated or what are the, what's the word, the eradicated because of everything they say they did, which is really not even why that happened. Which means that all this time, people aren't just regularly getting polio vaccines. The argument is they got them when they were kids and where the, well, no boosters, not every week, not every 30 seconds. Well, that's weird. I thought normal vaccine technology was boosters all the time. Isn't that what they just tried to sell you on? Well, okay, put put aside the, the broken logic of today. Not everybody gets these things. Not everybody's had them, especially not even kids. But the idea is this has been a very long time when we, before we haven't just seen a wild outbreak. So that's the first point. Just the unvaccinated person is not the, the point. But the vaccine-derived strain, meaning that they used something to, for people that didn't necessarily need it because there wasn't a polio outbreak, polio outbreak and gave them something that caused a strain that then happened to go around and infect people. So whether or not he's unvaccinated, how in the world are you going to blame this on unvaccinated people if the vaccine you're giving to stop it is the reason that was there to be infected? I mean, this is just broken, but this is my point. It doesn't matter how or why it is that unvaccinated are the problem. Trust the science means ignore the science, right? This is black is white, up is down, left is right. This is broken. But here we are. It's all because the unvaccinated guy dared to not do what he was supposed to. That's the moral of your story, despite the fact that Gates and his fake philanthropy over in the world is what over in Africa is what has been causing these things to happen or why there's vaccine derived anything spreading around that's been getting people sick. Then you should ask the question where there's been a lot of this happening that they didn't want you to look at until now. You see my point? It's very easy for them to highlight something when they want to and ignore it when they do or want to. <laughs> same, same point. But here is what this leads to. This is just mind blowing to me. Because of how many people this has hurt. Now, I don't want to get into this just because it really does upset me. But my best friend in the world growing up, somebody that I was very close with, was told he needed to take antidepressants. One of the most jovial, kind people I've ever met in my life. And then a month later killed himself. And it breaks my heart. Because... I wasn't there. I was I was in a different state and I I didn't know that he was going through a problem, but the point was that nobody did because he didn't need antidepressants because he was that it was it's this is the thing we do today or they do is they say, "Oh, you have this problem, here's a pill." But that's the last thing you should be doing. I don't care what you think doctors are telling, this is not the right solution. This is hurting people. Now, yes, that doesn't mean there can't be some positives for these things, but the idea is that they dump and I'm going to make this clear to you right now. You can disagree. I'm, right now, the point is, is people already disagreeing with me. Oh, that's crazy. I take them and they help me. That's fine. But I'm going to prove to you right now that even if you think they're helping you, you're wrong because they don't, because that's not the truth. And the science is the opposite. But they tell you they do. And it's probably psychosomatic if you think that. But the bottom line is this is hurting people. They're now proving that it doesn't even do what they say it did. And when they tell people to take it, especially when they just had a bad day or maybe their parents said something's off with him. He's not acting like he used to. Let's break him to the doctor. 
The bottom line is you end up giving them a drug that in fact ends up causing suicide. Oh, you didn't know that? Well, this is the reality, guys. This has been there for a long time. Not all the time, not everyone, but suicide and antidepressants has been something that have been discussed for a long time. While antidepressants are designed to degree, decrease the symptoms of depression, they occasionally, <laughs> that's fantastic, they occasionally have the opposite effect and can increase suicidal thoughts. I mean, this is as stupid as giving you something that stops, you know, that, that I mean, the opposite of anything we're talking about. You take something for a healthy reason and it literally causes the problem you're trying to stop. Why does that make sense to sell? I just, it makes me sad because this is a person that probably would have done a lot of good in the world and was doing a lot of good in the world, just making people smile and apparently was told he was depressed and now is no longer with us. So here's the tweet. This myth was created more than 35 years ago by pharmaceutical companies to justify their products and has been perpetuated ever since by training and practice of doctors around the world. That's a direct quote from the article. And the, part, the point that got, obviously makes the same point. Cool. Now do vaccines and all other big pharma poisons, right? If this is happening, and it is, then we need to stand back and go, could they be wrong about right now? Could they be lying about right now? Could they be hiding the side effects of right now? Yes, yes, and yes. We're proving they're doing that. But regardless of whether you think the, where the motivation and the intent is, we need to rea realize that this is always how this has been working. And now today, the government and the media are, for whatever reason, just gung-ho about making this happen in real time. And they always have been, in my opinion, but now they're just pulling out all the stops. They're attacking you for saying anything else. So here's the first article, Daily Mail. We're going to get into a couple examples, both on Science Daily and the actual study itself. But let's first start here. Have millions been taking antidepressants with harmful side effects for decades? <clears throat> when there's no scientific evidence, they do what they claim? <laughs> yes. Some experts have suspected it for years. Now, here's the first point is if that's the case, why aren't we listening to what they have to say? Well, because there's massive profit involved. This is, in fact, the most profitable thing that they have for them or maybe pre-COVID-19. The point is that they've been experts that have been standing up and saying, guys, this is not right. There's something wrong here. Look at the study that just challenged everything we think. Well, conspiracy theory. That's not the accepted science. See how that works? That's the point. I'm going to play. Actually, I'm not, I feel like I should play it right now for that reason. Maybe, I'll, maybe I will. This is a clip that we'll play right now. Again, I was going to play it at the end, but why not? I have another video I'll play at the end. This is exactly the point. When you talk about the consensus, you challenge the very idea of science. Now, consensus is useful, but if you only let the consensus rule the day, you allow people with bad intentions to manipulate it, but you also don't realize the new and the innovative because, as he'll point out in this clip, as I've played before, the, mo the biggest innovations in history have come from outside the consensus, and they typically do. People talk glibly about science. What is science? People coming out of a university with a master's degree or a PhD, you take them into the field and they, they literally don't believe anything unless there's a peer-reviewed paper. It's the only thing they accept. And you say to them, but let's observe, let's think, let's discuss. They don't do it. It's just, is it in a peer-reviewed paper or not? <laughs> That's their view of science. I think it's pathetic. Gone into universities as bright young people, they come out of them brain dead, not even knowing what science means. They think it means peer-reviewed papers, etc. No, that's academia. And if a paper is peer-reviewed, 
It means everybody thought the same, therefore they approved it. An unintended consequence is that when new knowledge emerges, new scientific insights, they can never, ever be peer-reviewed. So we're blocking all new advances in science that are big advances. If you look at the breakthroughs in science, almost always they don't come from the center of that profession. They come from the fringe. The finest candle makers in the world couldn't even think of electric lights. They don't come from within. They often come from outside the brakes. We're going to kill ourselves because of stupidity. There we go. And, and this guy's a PhD, right? I mean, not, not again, that means that you should just blindly listen to him. But the idea is that there, that's just logic. You know, th- taking the candle maker example, you know, think about the people whose entire industry revolves around not acknowledging the new innovation. Like, again, let's say, I don't know, the big pharma groups making billions on antidepressants and who have been actively hiding this data for years now and allowing people to hurt themselves. In fact, doing literally zero positive benefit. In fact, removing serotonin from the people's brains with the drugs they're giving them. You'll see my point. But that's the thing. So the experts have talked about it. The scientists, stu- the studies have already been done. The thing we're going to point out next, this next study, it's a meta-analysis, which means they've already had them. They've been there for years. So who's trusting the science? So clearly not the media, clearly not the government. They're ignoring the new peer-reviewed science. They're shoving it in a corner. And now even, even now we have a systemic umbrella review of all the previous evidence and they're still prescribing them. I mean, it's, it's just, you, it's infuriating. And obviously, yes, this is close to home for me, but now patients have been left reeling by a groundbreaking study. Now, the real question comes back to it again. Is this even going to change anything? If this happened with masks or with vaccines right now, would it change anything? Would they even care? Or would they just let it be politically attacked from the side that wants it to be shut down? So going forward, like millions of patients who seek help from their GPs for depression, general practitioners, Emma Ward was repeatedly told she was suffering from an imbalance of chemicals in the brain. Just to get right ahead of it, that's the point they're making clear is not true. It One of the main points. that that's it, it missed, They've been wrong about that. That's not even how that works. That's not what's actually happening. If Emma wanted to get better, her doctor said the 26-year-old should keep talking, taking the antidepressants that she's already been taking since she was 15. Right, so you've been taking them for 11 years. They haven't changed anything, but if you want to get better, just keep doing that. Keep buying them and keep paying for them. Yeah, it makes sense. Clearly they care, right? Even though the drugs did not seem to improve her mood and left her feeling perpetually numb emotionally. And there's your extra benefit for the government, right? Now, shocking new research published yesterday shows that the theory justifying the millions of prescriptions for antidepressants handed out every month to patients such as Emma is simply not true. Now, for those that are going to say, oh, Daily Mail, we'll get into the other one. I just wanted to cover this first because this is where I saw it first, regardless of your partisan perceptions. And we're also going to get into what I, an article, by the way, that I put out a long time ago. And then the update of it today that shows you some shocking realities about who, how many children are being prescribed antidepressants. And I'm talking zero to one-year-olds, two to five-year-olds, like real stuff, guys, or antipsychotics. Millions of people. Just the antidepressants are the main point here today, but to get to show you how many people are being given these drugs that do not need them. ADHD medication for six-month-year-olds. 
Right, because I'm sure you can tell that they're hyperactive or you just want them to be quiet. Or maybe this doctor wants to make money. Going forward, now uh, it says the research confirms what some medical professionals have increasingly come to suspect, but yet are outcast and ignored by the people that make these decisions. That the chemical imbalance theory that depression is due to a lack of the brain chemical serotonin is nothing more than a myth. Now, obviously, serotonin plays a factor in your mood, but the idea that it's just a simple idea of low serotonin has been proven not to be the case. But But the interesting part about it is this has been approved by the FDA, things like Prozac, for example, which I'll show you in a minute, based on a theory, based on the assumption that this is the point, and then, by the way, the assumption that this is what it does. Think about that, guys. So if this is all it takes for them to drive this forward and for a decade push these things on people, why aren't we questioning the vaccine right now? Why or why aren't they is the point is the, is the point here. But going forward, it says the myth was created more than 35 years ago or 35 years by pharmaceutical companies to justify their products and has been perpetuated ever since by the training and practice of doctors around the world. In the most comprehensive review of the research on links between depression and serotonin ever carried out, ever researchers from the uk italy and switzerland multinational looked at 17 major international reviews not just 17 studies understand 17 other reviews of massive amounts of studies that had documented the findings from more than 260 studies involving 300,000 patients so again Ask yourself why a hundred of those studies wasn't enough to change that 150 wasn't enough peer-reviewed 200. Nah, fake news. Let's keep selling drugs to kids that don't need them. 259. Nah, fake news. It only took these people, three countries, 17 major reviews they were compiled to now to even have this come to to your front door. But yet right now, they're still not stopping this. That is this. That has to take some kind of massive congressional action or something. But my God, if that's not changing anything, what does? Please think about how that applies to COVID-19 and all the peer-reviewed studies that we're just getting into. That's apparently going to take 35 years and 260 meta-analyses of 300,000 patients for us to finally realize or at least admit that they're hurting people. But by that time, we'll be in a technocratic panopticon and it won't matter, right? Their findings published in the journal Molecular Psychiatry, highly regarded, undermine the 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 basis for decades decades of prescribing of the most commonly used antidepressants, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs. You just type SSRI in our website and you will find endless amounts of studies we've been doing for most of most of which, by the way, are from early days of, of the last American vagabond where a lot of it was reposted from groups like the three, Fro- the three, excuse me, the free thought project. Another great site, by the way, who I just did an interview with. I'm looking forward to that coming out. And I'm, by the way, in the 26th, I'll be speaking with Jason from that group as well. But there's a lot of them. There's a lot. And by the way, just on that not on that side note, if you guys don't remember, please go to the website, The Last American Vagabond, and just type in anything, any topic you are interested in, way outside the realms of COVID-19 or health or even foreign policy, and you will find an endless amount of studies or, or excuse me, articles written and videos and all sorts of stuff. Our website goes back a decade or more. Just remember that. There's a lot of past research on there. We have a focus today, clearly, but that it shifts over time. But Going forward, we can safely say that after a vast amount of research conducted over several decades, there is no convincing evidence that depression is caused by serotonin abnormalities. That's a quote from the study. Think about that, guys. (laughs) It took 35 years for them to go, yeah, we never really knew. (laughs) Cool. 
The findings are a major upset since SSRIs account for the majority of antidepressants prescribed in the UK and millions of Britons. I keep, is it Britons or Brightons? Somebody please tell me in the chat. I keep hearing both and it drives me crazy that I forget to follow up on that. I want to say Brightons is what it looks like, but that sounds wrong. In any case, people in Britain, millions of them, their use is rising inexorably. Is that how you pronounce that? I swear, I don't think I've ever said that out loud. Inexorably, yeah, I think that's correct. Basically, possibly. Of the record, 7.4 million antidepressant prescriptions issued in England in March alone. 7.4 million prescriptions based on unknown, unproven science, based on an FDA approval in the United States, based on a theory. Yep. Yep. A theory that's now being shown to be false, by the way. The majority of patients prescribed antidepressants are women. Someone's, I can't see you're writing it, so it's Br- Britain's. <laughs> I can't tell by the writing in the chat, so I'm sorry. Britain's or Britain's, I still don't know. There are currently eight different SSRIs prescribed in the UK. Britain. Britain. Okay. I believe that's what he, thank you, KB. Britain's. Britain's. Why would it be Brit anyway? <laughs> nah, I'm not going to do it right now. I was going to look it up, but <laughs> going forward. Eight different SSRIs prescribed in the UK. Among them, fluoxetine. The mother of all SSRIs, better known as Prozac. Prozac, which we've all heard many times. Even advertisements about, oh, you know, just make yourself happier. Take a Prozac. Like, no big deal, right? Except that it could make you kill yourself or have no positive effect whatsoever. Now, Prozac was developed by a U.S. pharmaceutical giant known as Eli Lilly. Very clearly ties together with all the things connected. Even Eli Lilly has clear connections to COVID-19 discussions. This is from the 1970s. Based on, again, guys, this is not a joke, based on the hypothesis that boosting serotonin would help treat depression, even though that wasn't even proven. And it soon became apparent that the company had struck gold because the company, the the government and everybody else involved was like, yeah, yeah, based on a hypothesis, money, do it. I mean, this is, I'm just, this is my paraphrasing of what they're saying, but my God, if you didn't prove it, let's not pretend like they didn't went through some grand process of making this correct. Prozac was approved for the treatment of depression in the U.S. in 1987. And by 2002, it had been prescribed in the U.S. to more than 40 million patients, or excuse me, 40 million patients worldwide with a total sale of $22 billion. Quote, part of the reason why the story of chemical imbalances in depression has become so prevalent is because it was propagated by drug companies when they were marketing new drugs. Yeah, go figure. They tried to sell you something because they'd make money from it. Guys, that's their profit model. I mean, let's be clear about this. Drunk companies are horrifically disgusting in my mind, especially today because they're leaning into the gross part of what their model is. But it's not their fault. I shouldn't even say it like that. Like, in the, it's at the end of the day, their fault for making these choices. But the reason they're allowed to make these choices is because the government allows that to be the case. Like, you almost can't fault a company for doing what's allowed to them to make more money but you can fault them for doing things they know will dramatically hurt people and take people's lives. So yes, they're still accountable and disgusting for their choices, but my God, the government has always allowed this to be the case, allowing them to continue to do this based on flimsy information. That's the FDA, the CDC, and the White House. But it says antidepressants have been blockbuster drugs for the pharmaceutical industry, frequently raking in among their most profitable. Yep. Now the rec goes on to say a bunch more, but I want to go get to Oh, by the way, here is the old version. Let me refresh, do this so you can see the, the page itself. Sir, the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research. We've heard that, haven't we? 
right? This is just the old version of what the FDA, Department of Health and Human Services, and it's talking about the, well, this is from the HHA part of it, but this is the FDA approval. And here it is where I have it highlighted. It says, we have completed the review of these supplemental applications as amended and have concluded that adequate information has been presented to demonstrate the drug product is safe and effective for use as recommended in the enclosed label text. So just to be clear, the drug company gave them stuff and they said, oh, it looks like that's adequate to present the, to demonstrate that it's safe and effective. Well, that's weird. We're not talking about emergency use authorization, are we? We're talking about approval. So it's funny how the safe and effective mantra has been jammed into the emergency use authorization conversation, even though that's not necessarily what it is. Because remember, emergency use is not about safe and effective. It's that the benefits we can prove even though we don't know all of them, outweigh the risks we can prove, even though we don't know all of them. You see how ridiculous that is? But then it says, accordingly, these supplemental applications are approved effective on the date of this letter. Okay, so they're approving this then. So just make we're clear about where that's coming from, okay? Now, going into the next part of it, Science Daily. This is July 20th, 2022. And this is, this is, the, this is the original discussion of the study coming from Science Daily. Now, it says, no evidence that depression is caused by low serotonin levels. After decades of study, there remains no clear evidence that serotonin levels or serotonin activity are responsible for depression, according to a major review of prior research led by UCL scientists. Now, it says lead author, Professor Joanna Moncrief, a professor of psychiatry at UCL and a consultant psychiatrist at Northeast London, NHS. Guys, hold on one second. Give me one second. I'll be right back. I'm, I'm Sierra's freaking out for some reason. <laughs> I'm sorry. Questions get asked when people have hesitancy or reluctance to get vaccinated. Did you go too quickly is the first. The answer to that is the speed was a reflection of extraordinary scientific advances and did not compromise safety, nor did it compromise scientific integrity. The next question is, okay, but what about the fact, is it really safe and is it really effective? Or is this... Paul, I apologize about that, guys. I try to make that more unseemly. You don't notice when it happens, but I just tell, I can't listen to her yip at me. It makes me upset. But continuing forward, by the way, that clip, in case you haven't seen it, boils it all the way down to like 50% and then talks about how you need more, just, just in case that clip was out of nowhere. But continuing forward, and this is the important part, uh, the where was I? The right there, the consultant. So the uh, lead professor Moncrief it says, "quote It is always difficult to prove a negative." Which, by the way, if it starts on the premise of having to prove a negative, I mean, they shut down arguments based on that in politics. But we're going to run with an entire. We're going to prescribe thirty. I mean, for thirty-five years, millions of drugs to people based on the idea that we have to prove not proving a negative. I mean, that's just, I mean, this is not scientific. I can't even believe what this needs to continue to, to show you is that the entire premise for all of these is not rooted in reality. But I think we can safely say that after a vast amount of research conducted over several decades, there is no convincing evidence that depression is caused by serotonin abnormalities, particularly by lower levels of reduced activity of serotonin. Quote, the popularity of the chemical imbalance theory of depression has coincided with a huge increase in the use of antidepressants. Prescriptions for antidepressants have risen dramatically since the 1990s with one in six adults in England and 2% of teenagers now being prescribed an antidepressant in a given year. 
2%. I mean, it, it, this it's stuff like this that just blows my mind. People talk glibly about science. What is science? People coming out of a university with a master's degree or a PhD, you take them into the field and they, they literally don't believe anything unless there's a peer-reviewed paper. It's the only thing they accept. And you say to them, but let's observe, let's think, let's discuss. They don't do it. It's just, is it in the peer-reviewed paper or not? <laughs> That's their view of science. 2% of teenagers now being prescribed an antidepressant in a given year. Teenagers. Even though it's not helping them, even though it's doing the opposite. Even though that's not why they're depressed. Many people, they say, quote, take antidepressants because they have been led to believe their depression has a biochemical cause. But this new research suggests this belief is not grounded in evidence. Led this, this led all these findings led the authors to conclude that there is no support for the hypothesis that depression is caused by lowered serotonin activity or concentrations. Now, my point is again, this is old research, they've already had it's already found this. They're just reiterating this as one grand point with multiple studies over all these years with three different countries. And my point again is so, what's going to happen? Are we really going to pretend that these countries are going to stop selling antidepressants? That won't happen, guys. Mark my words, this is astounding this should immediately halt these things instantaneously and they're not going to do that what then that needs to be the most obvious point overarching everything we're talking about not even just COVID-19 but the broken nature of our supposed regulatory agencies and the government that allows it the researchers say their findings are important as studies show that as many as 85 to 90 percent of the public believes that depression is caused by low serotonin or a chemical imbalance and there's the next point even though the science has continually shown the opposite, almost 90% of people believe the opposite. That's exactly the problem, right? The government and the media work together to push an idea and claim that's the science and people buy it, just like today. There is also evidence that believing that low mood is caused by a chemical imbalance leads people to have a pessimistic outlook on the likelihood of recovery and the possibility of managing moods without medical help. Right. So they basically tell you you're screwed. Just take this chemical or take this drug and it may work. Probably not after many, many years. But the idea is it's pessimistic on the fact that you'll ever get better because they don't want you to perceive that. They want you to think that you have to take the drug to make it your status quo. Not that you want to take the drug to an end point and be better, but just take the drug to maintain. Right. That's the that is the idea of big pharma. Curing doesn't make you money. Treating is what makes money. And the point about managing moods without medical help, well, and they want to train people to think you don't, the only way you can solve a problem is by taking what they tell you to take. Not that you can go, you know, run a mile and produce serotonin in your body or eat healthier or the thousand different ways, vitamin D, sunshine, that will actually scientifically increase your serotonin levels, not take a drug that in fact does the opposite while they tell you it does. Like this is just criminal, guys. The authors also found evidence from a large meta-analysis that people who you, oh, the last part was this is important because most people will meet criteria for anxiety or depression at some point in their lives. And they bank on that, knowing that the criteria they've created for those things are just arbitrary. Oh, did you have a bad day? You're upset. You break up with your boyfriend. You break, you, did you lose somebody in your life? The bottom line is everybody feels like that. And now they just drug you instead. Instead of just accepting and dealing with, and you know what also happens when that happens? You don't deal with those problems. You don't emotionally handle that. You become 
dependent. It's a crutch. The the authors also found evidence from a large meta-analysis that people who used antidepressants had lower levels of serotonin in their blood. So there's, there's the next big point. So depression, they seem to have lied about, and it's not even what they say it is. That's the first big point. Second one is the drugs they're giving you to produce serotonin, in fact, lowered your serotonin levels. Hear that. Lower, the opposite, which then is an example of why it then can potentially lead to suicide because serotonin alone is not the only factor in mood, but it does play a huge role. So even if you had taken these and it did increase your serotonin, it still wouldn't necessarily end your depression. That's that's the point they make in this. But the idea that it doesn't do it, it lowers them. So you take somebody who's already in a very dark place and you give them this drug and it can lower it just enough to where it kicks them over the edge. And that is what we continue to see. Like, like my friend. It says, we can, they concluded that some evidence was consistent with the possibility that long-term antidepressant use reduces serotonin concentrations. The researchers say this may imply that the increase in serotonin that some of the antidepressant produce, any, any, excuse me, that some antidepressants produce in the short term could lead to comp, uh, compensatory changes in the brain that produce the opposite effect in the long term. Well, damn it if that's not what we're talking about with boosters right now, right? Now, you can argue whether it's even doing that in the first place, whether there's some kind of small boost to only have it be removed in the long term. That's questionable, especially with the boosters. But the same idea is what we're seeing today, that over long term, if you don't keep doing it, you get lower. It hurts you. Your immune system gets worse and worse. Same thing they're saying right there. Maybe you could take more antidepressants every day and get a little boost, but over the long term, it lowers or su it suppresses what you need for serotonin. God, it just makes me sick. Professor Moncrief said, quote, our view is that patients should not be told that depression is caused by low serotonin or a chemical imbalance, and they should not be led to believe that antidepressants work by targeting these unproven abnormalities, except that's what everyone is told right now and has been for years. We do not understand, she says, what antidepressants are doing to the brain exactly. My God. And giving people this sort of misinformation pre prevents them from making an informed decision about whether to take antidepressants or not. I mean, God, this is the most perfectly aligned discussion for COVID-19. They don't understand what they do to the brain exactly. Don't you remember? They, I mean, that's exactly, they literally just were forced to say that about the injections. Then we don't even know how they work exactly. Remember that? I'm trying to find it real quick. I don't think I have it loaded up right now. But they, during one of their, their recent meetings for the FDA, they admit, they were forced to admit that. When they were asked point blank, they said, well, we don't really exactly know how they work. That was their statement. But they also then said that they don't even, there's no correlation between the production of antibodies and an actual benefit. Because as we're showing you, you're making things that aren't even what's currently there. But think about that. So that's what they say. And here we are admitting the same thing. And yet they approved it. They pushed it. And on top of that, informed decision. How, in the, how are we pretending it's informed consent when they're not even told the full picture? These studies have been out for years. Co-author, Dr. Mark Harowitz, a training physician and clinical research fellow in psychiatry at UCL and NELFT, said, quote, I had been taught that depression was caused by low serotonin in my psychiatry training. And it was, that's not true, right? And had even taught this to students in my own lectures. Being involved in this research was eye-opening and feels like everything I thought I knew has been flipped upside down. So this is a guy who was an expert, 
right? Who had, who had if he pre before this research had been asked, he would have swore up and down, defended his position that that's what is the reality. That's why you see all these so-called experts doing that today, because they're not introduced to the new information, or rather, the real information. But he's tough. I, I didn't. I didn't know. I was wrong. I even taught people the wrong information. Professor Moncrief added, "Quote: Thousands of people suffer from side effects of antidepressants." way more than that, including the severe withdrawal effects that can be deadly, guys. It says, yet prescription rates continue to rise. We believe this situation has been driven partly by the false belief that depression is due to the chemical imbalance. It is high time to inform the public this belief is not grounded in science. Let me repeat that again. Inform the public that this belief is not grounded in science, says a massive three-country multi... I mean, you know the point, guys. My God. And mark my words, you will see this continue to increase. The prescriptions will continue to increase. And if you call this out on Twitter, they'll call you a conspiracy theorist because they're that we're in a biosecurity state. It's like attacking the idea of foreign policy during the Iraq war. You're crazy. You're an Assad. You're a Saddam apologist. It doesn't matter what you're proving. Same thing now. This will only come to pass a little down the line when, you know, the Tucker Carlson's of the world are allowed to squeak this out and pretend like they're breaking the story, right? That's what happens. By then, it's too late. And by then, they've got the next thing they're already using, so this is the not needed anyway. That's usually how that tends to go. Occasionally had the opposite effect. Now imagine if you told that. Well, occasionally, so I'm suicidal. To, we, we, we go to the doctor, and they say, here, take this drug for the suicidal thoughts. And they go, but, 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 every now and again, it could cause you to kill yourself. If they really told you the reality when they gave it to you, which is that's the reality, would you take it? And it just doesn't make sense. It's like taking drugs for a heart attack that can possibly cause a heart attack. It doesn't make sense. Here's the study itself, published July 20th. There's only one point I wanted to read here. And just directly from the study, right? <clears throat> it says, one study in the review found an that antidepressant use was associated with a reduction of plasma serotonin. These findings suggest that in the long-term, antidepressants might produce compensatory changes that are opposite to the acute effects. Lowered serotonin availability has also been demonstrated in animal studies following prolonged antidepressant use. So these things are all valid points for why we should at least consider this. But they're not. This review suggests that the huge research effort based on the serotonin hypothesis, which it still is, has not produced convincing evidence of a biochemical basis to depression. Yet they're pushing it anyway. We suggest it is time to acknowledge the serotonin theory of depression is not empirically sustained, substantiated. Where are the trust of science crowd? Doesn't this matter to them? I bet you most of them are taking antidepressants, so they probably don't care. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> excuse me, here's the next big point. I wrote, this, I wrote this article in 2016. The orchestrated addiction of the masses, the sweeping epidemic affecting you and your children. It was focused on the opioid epidemic. Which, by the way, an entire different story, as I, I, I link to it right here, I've showed you recently, Operation Enduring Freedom, the United States opium trade, perfectly correlates with the occupation of Afghanistan and the increase of the opium trade that the Afghanistan, uh, that the Taliban had almost entirely eradicated, and then it jumped 90% in the first per the period which the U.S. occupied it, right? And just so happens to see the explosion of opioids in our country. Yeah, what a coincidence, right? But the point is that this is a horrifying reality that they allowed. And we even know that now. But Bar Purdue Pharma, all these different companies that were involved, or what was the big one? I forget. They got fines. Nobody went to jail. They, there was even documents that showed that they knew it was killing people. And they just made money using selling Narcan. 
the drug that was supposed to stop you from being overdosing, right? They know all of this. Nobody went to jail, guys. They just got fined a fraction of what they actually make. But here's the point I want to make today, because I, I go off on, on not just the opioids. I posted this in 2016, and this is what it said then. Before I show you what it says today, this is a, a horrifying reality. So what this is breaking down is the number of people taking certain classes of drugs and then the age breakdown of those drugs, okay? So this is showing you first all psychiatric drugs. At the time, there was over 1 million children under the year of five years old who were taking psychiatric drugs. That's just disgusting. All said and done, 78 million people in the country were taking some form of psychiatric drug. Now let's go to the individual drugs and break them down that way. ADHD drugs. Well, here, I'll, you know what we'll do is we'll go one by one to make it more consistent. Oh, that's the wrong one. I want to show the Pfizer tracker to end here. So here is this website that we've used before. And I'll just show you right now. This is pulled directly from the, uh, the, uh, the IQ via total patient tracker database. For the year 2020 was when the last data came through, but it was extracted January 2021. You can prove, you can check this for yourself. I did. Coming from the Citizens Commission on Human Rights International, the Mental Health Industry Watchdog. Okay. The total number of people taking psychiatric drugs in the United States. So here's the first part. Now, what you'll see is in some areas, which is a good sign that people are listening to the kind of work we're doing, you've seen them decrease, which is great but they're going up in the worst possible categories, in my opinion. But first of all, all is said and done, it's gone down just barely. So today, or rather 2020, there was 76,940,000 people in this country on psychiatric drugs. It's just the United States we're talking about. The most, it, the most drugged up country on the planet. So now, oops, now right back here. Now, to, now to, uh, excuse me, now, but back then, it was... 78 million. So again, now today it's 76 or the most recent. So that seems to have gone down, but still look at the numbers. And this has gone down too in kids, thank God, but zero to five over a million. Now it's zero to five. It's only 418,000, but that's still 418,000 children under the year five on psychiatric drugs, zero to 17. It's 6 million. That's just horrifying, but let's get into the meat of this because it's not just about all of them. Here's ADHD drugs back in 2016. There was 1,288,000 kids on under the years of five on ADHD drugs. Total of 10 million in general, all age groups in the country. Now, 58,000. So it's going down, 9, 9 million. But still, between 0 and 17, there are 3 million kids under the age of 17 taking ADHD drugs. That's a whole other topic we can dive into, by the way. ADHD, ADHD drugs are a big manipulation, but I'm not going to go off on that today. Antidepressants. Now, here's the problem. One of the problems. I keep doing that. So, antidepressants, 41 million in total in the United States at the time, 45 million today. So, it's gone up by 5 million in the last five years. 5 million. Think about that. So, 5 million more people are taking something that has no benefit to them. In fact, could increase their risk of the very thing they think they're trying to stop. Look at that. Why would that one increase out of all of them? The one that we know for sure at this point doesn't have an effect. Zero to five-year-old. What do you mean 35,000? What five-year-olds are depressed? There's no other reason to give them antidepressants, especially now that we know that you're hurting them. All of these, in my opinion, are dangerous. Zero to 17, you've got 2 million children, 17 or younger, on antidepressants, that is disgusting. Now that has gone up ex exponentially. Look at the number here, guys. Zero to five, 
it's only a hundred thousand. Whereas now it's 35,000. Oh, excuse me, that, that's the one that went down. Sorry, don't, don't let me confuse you. Focus on the today. What's the big point? But now it's two million seventeen. But overall, the point in this country, 45.5 million antipsychotics. Now, this is where it gets really crazy. Antipsychotics, anti anxiety are exploding. Here's what it was in 2016 antipsychotics, zero to five year old, 27,000. What five year olds six month year olds do you know that are anti that are psychotic that need antipsychotics? Two three year old, there's 3,000. In 2016, four or five year olds, there's 24,000 people taking these things. What parent is giving their child that zero to five year old antipsychotics? What doctor is prescribing those things? But here's the point six million eight hundred forty five thousand is what it was in 2016. Today, 11 million. It almost doubled the amount, the, the, the amount of people taking antipsychotic medication in this country. That is horrifying. Anti anxiety drugs. 2016, it was 36,472,000. Today, 31 million. Went down slightly. But 0 to 5, 233,000. 0 to 17, 1 million. These numbers are horrifying, guys. Now, what's interesting is they had a whole new category that wasn't on it when I did it in 2016. Guess what? Now they've got mood stabilizers. 21 million. So on top of the other picture, 21 million more people are taking some kind of drug to stabilize their mood. You've got more kids zero to five on mood stabilizers than you do on anti-anxiety or, or what was the one on uh, antipsychotics or antidepressants. Mood stabilizers. Those are terrible parents. You're going to stabilize the mood of your five-year-old. They're children. Oh, great. Gosh darn it. The robot, the, the, my voice was getting chopped up again. Big surprise. I'm sorry about that, guys. Hopefully it's back. Let me know in the chat. Big surprise. But the point, guys, is the idea of antidepressants, because that's the focus today. 45 million people in this country of all ages are on antidepressants, even though we now are being shown and have always been shown by the studies they don't want to talk about that they not only don't have an effect, but they hurt you. So let's talk about Pfizer before we move to the next point and realize that this is why we point this out. Just like the clip we played in the beginning. They have been caught repeatedly. I don't know why this page changed, by the way. I, I'm, it looks like they just updated it. doesn't look like anything changed. They still show the right amount. But this is just Pfizer. It's the Pfizer violation tracker. Over $10 billion paid out in crimes. And my point, I've shown this a million times. These are the, kind, these are the top five offenses, safety-related, healthcare. Uh, there's ones down here that are important. False claims off-label, unapproved promotion, right? These are, these are everything. These are the points we are making today. They're selling you things that they don't do. They're, give, they're, not, they're lying about safety concerns. What about, just, just looking at safety, that's the number one thing. Safety-related offenses, 16 times $5,637,000 in fines for lying about the safety of their drugs. And yet we're being called conspiracy theorists for pointing out that they might not be safe or that they're lying about it. How do you possibly stand with that? That's the point, guys, for the antidepressants. And just please see how serious that is. Please get your family and children off these things immediately because they don't help and they could potentially lead to suicide. Now, in that same vein of thought, specifically around the vaccine, as P Dr. Peter McCullough is pointing out, 
and I'll go to the Epic Times next. He says, as the cover-up gets deeper and deeper, the CDC not responding to document requests. The CDC staff know they were hiding safety data, which has been proven, guys, as Americans were slaughtered by the genetic, genetic biotechnology. CDC, five-alarm fire now. And here's the point that he's, re- he's referencing. I had to use the Wayback Machine to be able to read this because they're paywall on Epic Times. But think of that we've proven this. Their data has already shown that they hid things. They knowingly hid data knowingly covered this up, knowingly uh, hid the safety of the things they're talking about or the data that showed that this was hurting people. And yet when we ask about the unprecedented amount of Bayer's information and who's actually researching this, because there's a huge scandal to be called out there. If you pretend you're researching it, yet we can see you're not. And we got a FOIA request to prove you're not. Who are the people that are supposed to be doing it? It may be nobody, by the way. Well, exclusive CDC shielding names of employees working on vaccine safety. It says a top U.S. health agency is refusing to identify which employees are working on vaccine safety teams, drawing criticism from watchdog groups. Right. It's all about transparency, right? The Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, or VAERS, is a database to which people file reports of adverse events following vaccination. The U.S. CDC manages the database with the FDA. The Epic Times sought the names of employees on three CDC teams charged with analyzing data from VAERS. Excuse me including a team that looks at the data pertaining to the the post-vaccination heart inflammation. The CDC denied the request in full. A federal law called the the, the FOIA request, the Freedom of Information Act, requires agencies to comply with information requests, but establishes exemptions that agencies can cite in withholding requested information. Now, the CDC FOIA officer, Roger Andoa, cited an exemption that protects, quote, personal or medical files and similar files. Come on, guys. The idea, as I already said earlier about harassment, this is not the same thing. This is how they hide behind everything right now, acting like the bad people will misrepresent it. We're going to hide the UK data that shows that it's a pandemic of the injected because the dirty anti-vaxxers will misrepresent the facts, right? The facts that are right there. The problem here is these are government officials that your tax dollars are paying for that are working on things that you have a right to know. And the fact that they're hiding their names from you as public officials is crazy. That's like saying that we don't well, hide who Fauci is before it ever starts because we're worried he'll be attacked by you guys. It's the same point. Or Walensky, for that matter. If the disclosure of the files would constitute a clearly unwarranted invasion of personal privacy. How is it personal privacy if we're talking about what we're paying you to do for us and whether or not you're doing that? Quote, the information that has been withheld under Exemption 6 consists of employee names. Now, the way they make that sound and the way that the harassment people may feel like that makes sense, but it's the names of public officials who are working on public information. We have determined that the individuals to whom this information pertains has a substantial privacy interest. And the only reason they make that argument is because they claim that we'll attack them if we let their names out. So that's very, very self-serving. The CEO and founder of OpenTheBooks.com says, quote, not having the ability to see into the bureaucracy is troubling. And these agencies are rife with conflicts of interest, which by the way, they admit their only argument is, well, there's so there's a, there's a small grouping of people that are, have the ability that we need that we have to overlook their conflict of interest. That's been proven to be false a thousand times over. There are an endless amount of highly credentialed people out there. They just don't want them. They want the people that are conflicted, in my opinion. But that's what the data shows. Denying transparency to the public is never the answer. Remember the word transparency before we get to the public briefing of the White House when they scream about transparency. The Times asked the CDC FOIA's office to review the decision. And they did, quote, 
I've taken a look at your case and we stand by the full denial of the requested information due to the potential for harassment and to protect the physical safety of the employees and the team. The physical safety. Right. Because the white supremacist lone shooting conservatives are going to attack everybody because they're crazy anti-vaxxers, right? I mean, is there any proof and evidence of what we're, how is it going to risk their lives? Because from, do we know the, the point is these are people that work at a public location on public information. This is the same as acknowledging anybody else that works at the CDC. This is a, this is a complete sidestep of the reality. The Epic times has appealed the determination to the, the department of health and human services. And I guess they're waiting to see. Now, it says the CDC describes theirs as the nation's early warning system for the detection of vaccine safety signals or signs that specific side effects are linked to a vaccine, except they ignore it entirely. Right. So if it's the early warning system, doesn't it matter that we're seeing some dramatic realities from all this? Right. Over two million reports, over twenty nine thousand deaths reported. Yeah. And they could be wrong. They could be confused about what caused it. They could be lying. But that's the whole point, as I've showed you many times. Or, shoot. Oh, yeah, it is right here. I thought I jumped ahead too far. So I've shown you this many times. This is from 2006. This is The Guardian. Doctors urge to be more vigilant over side effect, drug side effects. Well, here's June Rain of the MHRA yellow card system, who you'll hear talk about stuff today. Here she's quoted as saying, there is no need to prove that the medicine caused the adverse reaction in a place like Bayer's. That's the yellow card scheme for the UK. It's the same thing. She's saying there's no need to prove that they caused it. Just the suspicion is enough. That's it. And so if you have, a, in the past, we've seen 50 reports that have been unverified on theirs be enough to pull an entire vaccine. Yet today, weirdly, we've got 29,460. And they go, oh, fake news, anti-vaxxers, we don't know for sure. Exactly, we don't know for sure. That's exactly the logic of what she's saying in the article. That's why it should have already been pulled. And if it's a warning system, that's what that means don't need to do it. It's a warning of signals that should have already happened. This is a massive crowd, guys. But it goes on. The health officials have repeatedly said that signals from the COVID-19 vaccines would be detected by theirs and other systems like it. But while the most prevalent serious side effects, heart inflammation, appears to have been first identified by the Pentagon, not CDC. Even after the Pentagon discovered the issue, the CDC director said, oh, no signals found though the agency has since acknowledged the side effect. So were they hiding it? The answer is yes, because the data was there. We found that out after the fact. Raw data from beers does not alone constitute a safety signal, according to CDC. But that's not true, right? So are you challenging what the, the MHRA said in 2006 about the same concept? Apparently, it's reevaluating the world, right? We're changing reality, reimagining definitions, we're, we're the new normal, that same idea. This is just changing what has been standing reality. Safety signal. That's the whole point. So if it's not enough, then what are we talking about? According to the CDC, it says the agency is supposed to investigate all of these, research every single one, except we've proven and they've been forced to admit that they don't even have the resources for that. So there's your answer. They haven't and they can't. So they just don't. And again, that's what we've proven in the past research. I'll show you again in a second. Uh, where was it? I'm jumping ahead. I'll come back to it that they, they are not doing it. The FOIA request proved that. But it says they have the experts must analyze the data to figure out if the signals exist. But what the signal is the report. It's not if the signal exists. They have to f- check the data to find out if the signal is actually what was reported. That's see, they're just conflating these ideas to lie to you. The three teams 
And by the way, that's not my opinion, guys. You can look at what they've said about this before we got here, and that's what they would say. The three teams whose members of the CDC is shielding the people that are supposedly working on this stuff are among those tasked with analyzing the data, including digging into medical records from reports. One focuses on post-vaccination blood clotting. Another looks at the post-vaccination heart inflammation. A third analyzes an assor- assortment of the data. Now, the point is, if, we, if you only have three teams working on this, and even the entire CDC working on this, don't have the resources. Now, this is basic data statistics. It's impossible. How many reports there are, and how much goes in to one investigation, one autopsy, one medical report, one traveling to the state, one digging up of the, the contact tracing, all the things they claim they would do, pharmacovigilance, to argue that they do that with 2 million reports that are continuing to come in right now, even if 30,000 report death, they've already been the case because they haven't done that. They've admitted that. The work of the teams has been cited by the CDC officials during meetings of the vaccines. So they use those people to pretend that they're doing that, but then admit that they're not. If the names of the team members were released, they could be used to file additional records requests. And I think that's why they're hiding it or because they're not even doing it. There's nobody in those positions, which could shed light on how the CDC is analyzing the Bayer's data. We have every right to know why the world kicked on its ear the moment COVID started. Why 50 reports before would stop drugs and today 29,000 are not enough. You have, they're obligated to do that and they're not. For example, it says one could request emails sent between the two team members during the time when the heart inflammation issues were first uncovered to see if they were aware of the issues before the military and hid it from you. They did. That's the reality. But we have the emails to prove that. The names of the CDC employees are listed on the Department of Health and Human Services employee directory. So there's a listing of all the people that work there. But it's not clear from the directory which workers are on the Vayers teams. And you have every right to know. Especially because they're using this information to force you to do things. Trying to, anyway. Now, this is another point to the same thing. And this is interesting overlap. This is an, a report that we did back on July 21st, 2021. Remember this? The CDC adds then removes 6,000 Vayers death reports. And nobody ever tried to justify why that happened. Oh, some overcorrection or whatever. That's not what happened. Now, by the way, this tweet was deleted. I don't, Disco's TV seems to do this quite often, and I don't know why that's honest, but it's weird. But here's what it said before. CDC has added 6,000 new death reports in Bayer's following the vaccination in the U.S. This is more than double last week's total figure. Then they deleted it, and then I guess Disclose did too, which is interesting because it wasn't that they weren't there. We proved that wasn't the case. Now, here's the reports if you want to go through them. Now, you remember what happened when we were doing this, guys? I have the, the Wayback Machine saved. We were looking at this live on the show, remember? During this time, Bayers received 15,461 preliminary reports of death. Now, this isn't the same as the 6,000. That's a different discussion. Same reporting, but that was a different, that was the total number. This is about just the time frame between these times and what they saw. And look at what it says. 15,461, right? While we were live on the show, I refreshed the page. And we caught them in real time, changing that to 12,313. Remember that? Oh, and then don't forget the most important part, when InfoWars took that and claimed that they saw it and didn't credit us. Remember that? <laughs> and then blo- then deleted me off their free speech platform. That, that's a fact, by the way. I've gone over that many times. If it comes up. Nope. Now I can't even get it to come up anymore. The T-Lab version of it banned. Anyway, I, just doesn't even, I don't even care. <laughs> But we, I did a whole show on it, guys. The frustrating, frustrating part about that was is we were the first people to see that. And it was real time, and they just didn't want to cite us for it. But the reality is it's caught on real time. 
they're just altering information and they're not even justifying why it's happening. Now to the other part of it, this is the one we just referenced before. CDC caught ignoring Bayer's. This is the, if you want to watch the show, here is the report we got it from where they're t- this is the FOIA request. You can go through his report and you can see it all. They admit that they weren't looking at them. There is no data of what they looked at. They admit that we don't have it. They didn't do it. It's very important. Now, on top of that, this is what I was referencing, referencing before. If you're actually concerned, uh, wondering about the real risks, here is another study that came from, uh, this one was the, no, this wasn't the Lancet one. Where was the grouping here? In any case, there's, you could see the, the right here, Louisiana State University, University of Maryland School of Pharmacy, you know, so doctors, um, a, a big study on SSRN. Now, what it says, serious adverse events of special interest following these injections in randomized trials, right? The gold standard, not an observational study, not a no, the random trial mRNA vaccination. Pfizer and Moderna vaccines were associated with an increased risk of serious adverse event, which means, again, death, hospitalization, permanent disability, or loss of pregnancy. With an absolute, not relative, absolute risk increase of 10.1 to 15.1 per 10,000 vaccinated over placebo baselines, respectively. Combined, that's way, way higher. I mean, that right there is like 7 point something per 10 per 5,000, where we're talking about 1 per 5,000 over here, or here, the one we just did with Germany, right? Where they admit that. Here's a study calling this out. Combined, though, bring, let's bring it together for mRNA injections by themselves. Associated with an absolute risk of serious adverse event of 12.5 per 10,000. That is 6.25 per 5,000. That is more than what Germany just admitted to, which is catastrophically high. Think about how many people that is who have potentially death, hospitalization, permanent disability. 6.5 and 5,000. My God. But trust the science, right? As we just discount what says what we don't like. I'm going to come back to that Germany point. But again, here's the Bayer's reports they pretend they're looking at. Now, for those that want to really see that this, there's a lot of this out there. But I wanted to prove this to you just by one of these. Here is one of these death reports that are out there, or death uh, certificates. Oh, here, I want to do the other way. The image, so it gets bigger. This is specifically from, uh, this is from uh, Australia. And what it's saying. Conclusion, died due to complications of the AstraZeneca COVID vaccination. Right up here. Induced immune thrombotic thrombocytopenia. Again, this is what Whitney and I were censored on for Patreon, right? Despite the fact that it's openly been proven 100 times over and we're still censored over there. That's how that works. Irreversible brain injury. Just realize this is real. These are death certificates signed by doctors that are acknowledging that. And even when they then point out on Twitter, someone points this out, you're called fake news. That's the problem with where we are. And then the, this absurd part of this is as they're piping all the dangers of where we are, look at this, how COVID symptoms are changing. A sore throat and hoarse voice become top symptoms with a new variant, newer variant. So literally anything, anywhere, the common cold, flu, pneumonia, anything is apparently COVID-19, exactly what they've done before. But the real point is if this is all it's causing, the risks that are being added by the injection are so catastrophically higher than what this is. If it's even anything, it's just impossible to miss. And they're still trying to force it on children aggressively. Nearly one in five COVID-19 cases reported, which don't forget, they admit themselves, or you go with a broken leg and get a PCR test with a dramatically high false positive rate, 
which by the way, they're still using 40 cycle threshold that never changed, which is guaranteed to cause dramatic high false positives, according to multiple scientists, PhDs, even the maker of the test himself. And those who've used it in the past, the guy I referenced who used it to, to uh, ch- test the genetic uh, sequence of muscles in the, in the ocean. He said it himself in this first start. He goes, those are rampant for false positives. Nobody cares. The point is, though, cases reported, not hospitalizations, not deaths, because nobody's dealing with those apparently right now outside of the vaccinated, which is not even associated with COVID by and large. One cases are kids under 18. Protect your child with the vaccine. Really? So the thing that has dramatic high serious adverse events for kids that aren't at risk, go and get it. Just in case you want to challenge that idea, I'm compelled to include this really quickly. What's the first argument? Well, which may not be dangerous for them in the long haul. We don't over the psychosomatic association of self-reported COVID-19 infection. The point of this article or the conclusion is that the population-based French cohort suggests that persistent physical symptoms after COVID-19 infection may be associated more with the belief in having been infected rather than actually been confirmed to be infected. That's called psychosomatic, right? That's what the peer-reviewed science is finding. Not associated. So we can kick the long-haul conversation out of the way because even the, the very premise of it in general hasn't been shown to be reality. But then we also have this. Remember this? Where they go, oh, well, the risk of myocarditis is worse than, well, here's the recent peer-reviewed study. MDPI, peer-reviewed. The incidence of myocarditis in post-COVID-19 unvaccinated patients. Post-COVID-19 infection was not associated with either myocarditis or pericarditis. We did not observe an increased incident of either of them in adult patients recovering from COVID-19. Yes, it's adults, but the point is simply that there is not an increased risk after what they tell you is COVID. By and large, I would argue, because it's probably not what most of them are even dealing with, but there is a dramatic increase after the injection. So now you're telling kids that they aren't at risk, that aren't in danger to take something that will dramatically increase the risk in general, but specifically myocarditis, heart problems, and there's no risk of something long. And here's the COVID uh, risk calculator from Oxford University. Where yet again, it points out that their risk of catching and dying from COVID if you're 19 years old or younger, 0.0001. In fact, literally one in a million. That's the reality still. Now to take this even further and make sure you see this, this is risk of catching and being admitted to hospital with COVID. Which by the way, shouldn't even be a factor in regard to if if you're that slow, small risk of dying. It's really, there is no, there's not, the risk is not prevalent, but even going to the hospital as being an under 19 year old kid or person, the risk absolute is 0.0039%, one in 25,000. Now, just to compare it again, don't forget what we just pointed out. The risks of serious adverse events are in general from the injection, even according to Germany, where was it? One in 5,000. Jeez, where was I? My God, I can't find it again. Here we go. One in 5,000. So clearly the risk of serious life-threatening adverse event is way higher than the risk of getting COVID and going to the the hospital and not dying, according to Oxford Calculator. How do you make sense of that? And then, of course, you can add on to the other one and find out that it's actually 6.5 per 5,000. It's way higher, or at least that's what the study found. But then I want you to point, I want you to see one last point that I haven't made clear last time. What they're pointing out here, guys, is absolute risk. Absolute right? But then they also include relative risk. Now, just in case you were confused, I didn't want to do that. Just in case you were confused about how dramatically ridiculously different relative risk is than absolute risk. And remember that they're still using absolute risk to argue the efficacy of these injections, which that's not even the word to use because they're not. Well, look at the comparison. 
right? So you have a 0.0001% absolute risk of dying from COVID if you're 19 and under with no other risk factors. But let's just jump over to relative risk. Well, apparently you've got a 2% chance. That's the re- that's how ridiculous that tr- that crossover is. That's how you end up with 95% relative risk reduction, which really translates into 0.8 or whatever that was. Pfizer reported that its vaccine shows a 95% efficacy. That sounds like it protects you 95% of the time, right? But that's not actually what that number means. That 95% refers to the relative risk reduction, but it doesn't tell you how much your overall risk is reduced by vaccination. For that, we need absolute risk reduction. In the Pfizer trial, 8 out of 18,198 people who were given the vaccine developed COVID-19. In the unvaccinated placebo group, 162 people got it, which means that even without the vaccine, the risk of contracting COVID-19 was extremely low at 0.88%, which the vaccine then reduced to 0.04%. So the net benefit or the absolute risk reduction that you're being offered with a Pfizer vaccine is 0.84%. That 95% number, that refers to the relative difference between 0.88% and 0.04%. That's what they call 95% relative risk reduction. And relative risk reduction is well known to be a misleading number, which is why the FDA recommends using absolute risk reduction instead, which begs the question, how many people would have chosen to take the COVID-19 vaccines had they understood that they offered less than 1% benefit? Stop for me. Well, for some reason, the stream seems to be struggling. Shocking, I know. I don't know. I can't explain it. It's almost like we're constantly being censored in some kind of technocratic reality. But I'm sorry if you let me know in the chat if you can hear me. It seems like the stream is completely bottomed out. I'm just going to wait a second to find out if you guys can hear me. Let me know. Now, the point to go forward here, kind of briefly, while I'm waiting to see in the chat if you guys can even still hear me, is that as Wake the Sleepwalkers is pointing out, we'll show in the tweet first. Vaccines for kids under five have now been available for weeks. Weeks. Gosh darn it. But for so far, only 2% of the children have been vaccinated. 2%. You're not alone. Of course it does. Sounds robotic, huh? My father told me when I was a child, people in authority lie. Now it's coming back. Maybe I'll just do that from now on. I'll just wait. Wait and go back to the point and play it all over again, right? Because I love how they... Anyway, so 2% of children have been vaccinated. 2%. 2%. Despite them pushing this for so aggressively, like I just want you to realize, guys, the, and this I'll read her tweet first. Thank goodness parents started to wise up. Now, if they just realize that all the others are based on lies too, not that hard to find the real data. And at least these three studies peer-reviewed showing unequivocally what uh, us, no, the vaccine parents, what parents already knew, essentially. The reality is that people aren't falling for this and they're pushing it as if most people are. That's the illusion. They're desperate to show you that. Now, I wanted to play this in full again because I missed the second part of this that I thought was absolutely ridiculous, but, you know, sad, but hilarious at the same time. But it's very much worth watching just because of how, I mean, as I said in this, this is priceless, yet horrifyingly unnerving at the same time. Because it really is pretty unnerving to see how spot on this is, right? I mean, what he's saying in this clip that I'm going to play for you is just exactly what's happening. I mean, it's, it's, and it's that clear, right? It's that obvious. And yet we're still here. 
So let me play this clip for you. And I'll play the second one too so you can see how it continued. News, the vaccine is on its way. Oh, really? That's right. It's a brand new mRNA vaccine. So mRNA, that's never been done before, right? Oh, no, it's been done before. It just never made it out of the testing phase because all of the animals kept dying. But uh, but it'll be different this time. How so? Well, we're not going to do the animal testing. So, so you're just going to go straight to testing on humans? Yeah, you can say that. I mean, even so, don't most vaccines take years to develop and decades to test? It's here. The vaccine is here. Uh, already? That's right. It's here and it's 100% effective. No transmission, no infection. You don't have to wear a mask or stay locked down anymore. Wow, really? Excuse me. Yep, except for the things about the mask and lockdown. Yep. Uh, okay, but it's 100% effective? That's right, 90% effective. And frankly, 85% effectiveness is really incredible. Oh, so it's only like 85% effective? Eh, not quite. It's uh, more like 75%. But hey, 65% still very good. I mean, they said we'd never even get to 50% effectiveness, and we did almost. So 40%, really great achievement. So it's only like 40% effective now? Eh, for a bit. A-, a bit? I mean, it wears off. So, Well, after how long? Eh, like four to six. Four to six what? Booster shots a year. Okay, so it really only works like right after you get the shot. Well, not right after, because we don't even consider you vaccinated until two weeks after your second shot. So, Okay, so it takes like a month for the shots to work, but it wears off. And even then, it only gives you mild protection, but you have to get boosters that also wear off. You still have to wear a mask. You can still get COVID, and you still have to stay home. And there are rare but serious side effects. And all of this over a virus that has a survival rate of over 99.5%. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I never said anything about uh, serious side effects. Uh, Are there, though? Uh, Certainly none I've ever discussed. Yeah, but have there been reports of serious side effects? No, no, no. I mean, except for like AIDS or whatever. Did you say AIDS? Hmm? Yeah, yeah, basically you like get AIDS and then there's this heart thing where your heart explodes and sometimes half your face falls asleep forever and uh, almost everybody gets extreme nausea and pain at the site of the injection. Sometimes they just die right there at the injection site, but we're not sure that's caused by the vaccine, so we will not be looking into it. I I cannot believe that pharmaceutical companies would actually release this to the American people. Oh no, it's totally fine. They're completely indemnified against any wrongdoing, so they'll be fine. Right. Look, a vaccine is literally the only plan I have. Look, a vaccine is literally the only plan I have, so it's happening. It's coming out and everybody's taking it. Even if it's risky, even if you have natural antibodies, even if it doesn't stop transmission, you are taking it. Wait, but you said it did stop transmission. Oh, did I? Oopsie. No, I don't think I'll be getting that shot now. Well, what if I offer you some tasty french fries? No. Hmm, okay, well, what if I throw in a single glazed donut? No. You drive a hard bargain. Well, what if I give you a chance to win one million dollars? I mean, I feel like you're just trying to exploit my desperation at this point. I mean, look, this is about bodily autonomy. Oh, no, that doesn't exist. We, we checked. Checked with who? Uh, well, the experts, obviously. Uh, tell you what, what if I tempt you with not losing your job? Oh, so it's going to be mandatory. Oh, nobody's mandating anything. It's entirely up to you whether you take the shot or whether you lose your job and become a despised pariah unworthy of basic decency or life-saving organ transplants. Yeah, I feel like you're forcing me to get this shot. Nobody is forcing you. Just take the jab. I'm not going to take the vaccine. Just just take the jab. I feel like I'm being forced here. Take the jab. No, no, no. You know what? I don't deserve this. I have a right to my own body. I, maybe I'll go protest. A protest? Yeah, that's uh, that's fun. Say, do you like having a uh, bank account? <laughs> what? I'm just asking. Do you like having access to the money in your bank account? <laughs> what are you saying? All I'm saying is there's no reason for you to be scared of a little needle. <laughs> Nothing to do with it. It's the only way to stop this pandemic. But you said it doesn't stop transmission. 
Exactly. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. God, some people are so stupid. You're not trusting the science hard enough. Look, it's not me telling you to take the jab. It's uh, actually your sister, Sarah. What? Yeah, your sister, Sarah, is requiring a vaccine to go to her wedding. So she works for me now. Oh, God, I mean, that, that's like a once-in-a-lifetime event. All right, I guess I'll get the vaccine. <laughs> wow, what a coincidence. <laughs> Where are the children? Oh, my God. God, it's just so dark. I mean, it's like I ha you have to laugh at that, but that is horrific. Like, just, just I know, I, I turned it up so you hear me laughing at the end. I, by the way, I hadn't seen that last part. I made sure I was going to see it first with you guys today. I should have unmuted from the beginning. <laughs> my God, my, uh, the experts, of course. <laughs> I can't stand how exactly that is what happened. I mean, my God, this is why I think everybody sees this, guys. I mean, this is just ridiculous. There's nothing about that that's inaccurate. And it's sad and horrific and horrifying, but it's also funny because it's ridiculous. It's macabre is what it is. But gosh darn it, guys. The point is, you're not alone. People see what you see. It's just time to make that clear. But going on to Biden really quickly, because this is ridiculous. Biden feels fine after positive COVID test, despite having vaccinations and everything else. Feeling very mild symptoms, they say. Then you jump over here and it seems kind of conflicted by the fact that Biden's improving but taking additional medication to treat COVID. Okay, wait a minute. The additional medication that is about increasing, of having, you know, being at severe risk, right? It says President Joe Biden's COVID symptoms have improved but I thought they were super mild. Have his physicians have Friday said, and the president has taken additional medications to address his temperature and cough. So when you have very mild symptoms, when you, why would you take additional medication? Like you, it just the point is, this is all politics. The president continues to take Paxlovid, right? The thing that they tell you to take if you're in severe risk, right? Pfizer's antiviral drug, which is just a knockoff of, of ivermectin, which has been shown to cause all sorts of other problems, but who cares about that? Stopping you stopped using previously prescribed medications, Crestor and Eliquis, or I think that's how you say it. I don't really care. I'll show you those in a minute. Quote, you have heard from Dr. O'Connor in the letter. We are fully committed to transparency here. Right, transparency, right? The very transparency that they continue to not abide by when they hide everything else from you. The transparency push here is just ridiculous. This is what we keep talking about. We care about your rights while we take your rights away, Right. Jay, Gia, Jaya said they don't want, they don't know how much about where the president contracted the virus, but said that tracing was underway. That's not even actually what she said. I'll play it for you next. Was underway for any close contacts. What she said when really forced was that because we didn't tell you we're not doing it, you should have assumed that we are. Like this righteous indignation is covering her ignorance. And I don't mean ignorance of the topic. I mean that she doesn't seem very bright. And I've said that from the very beginning. I said the same thing about a lot of them, by the way. So if you want to make it about a race topic, that's your racism, not mine. But the interesting point here is that this doesn't seem to suggest that there's anything positive happening or that he's very mild anything. But I want to point out two things here about the drugs he's taking. Now, to be clear, a lot of elderly people are on similar drugs. But that's I just want to point out what these are for. The one of them, the uh, Eliquis, which is the other names, sold under certain names, you know, here's the name right there, is used to treat and prevent blood clots and prevent stroke. Which again, you know, a lot of elderly people take them, but I just find it interesting. That one, and then here's the other one. This one, the other one, uh, this one's the Crestor, reduces the risk of heart attack and stroke. Yeah, just want to point that out. You know, the things that are everywhere that are being caused by the injections that he's apparently taking, which I somehow don't believe, but in any case, I thought that was quite relevant. Now, 
on the note of him getting sick, I wanted to play this clip really quickly that I thought was kind of interesting. Was that I was see, I don't know why that happens. For some reason, when sometimes I'm on the on the the browser, not my phone. See, now it's there. It wasn't there a second ago. What what is that about? Twitter is all over the place. So they're always doing something tri- tricky and scheming. But the reason I was going to point out is because I like just I like the fact you know it cites them when you share a video from someone that shared them, so they get credit for it. <clears throat> Benny Johnson shared this. And I said, this certainly seems important now. Why this was largely ignored is very telling. And you'll see what it is. Him basically saying something very odd, regardless of whether he was, well, actually I'll play it first because it's hard to see hear what my, uh, my point was or make sense of it without the clip first. Now, unfortunately, I'm going to play it right here. I hope it's loud enough. But all can... Decide. The first lady to be told me she holds them for you. Yes, she does, but not with she's because she's she and Kamala have become friends. Yeah. But all kidding aside, it's it's a matter of the thing we are simpatico on our philosophy of government and simpatico on how we want to attach approach these issues that we're facing. And so I don't have and when we disagree, it'll be just like it's so far it's just like when Rock and I did. It's in private. She'll so say I think we should do A, C, or D. And I'll say, I, I like A, I don't like B and C, and let's go okay. And I like a old rock. If, if, if I read something where there's a, a fundamental disagreement we have based on a moral principle, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll develop some disease and say I have to resign. If I read something where there's a no disagreement we have based on a moral principle, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll develop some disease and say I have to resign. I'm really... I remember this was said, and I just, I, that's, it, it was less relevant then, but still important. But I mean, really, it doesn't matter whether you're in a COVID-19 illusion or not. I mean, think about how crazy that is. As I said, regardless of whether he was referring to his presidency now, that he would do that with Kamala, or he was saying when he was vice president with Obama that he would do it, he is basically saying that he would fake an illness for politics. I mean, why is that not, why ridiculous? That's nothing if not highly relevant right now, Right. Whether people are going, oh, is he going to get sick and Kamala's going to be in power? Like, it doesn't even matter what the the argument is there. The fact that he openly stated that he would just tell people I'm sick and resign because you disagree? Like, I don't even know what that really was about. I mean, that is very odd to me, but it really should carry over to what we're dealing with today. Now, here is what was being stated at the press conference for the, the White House. Basically, when they're asked about contact tracing, Right, the thing that they're so, so important and everybody's being forced to do. And if you don't, you're going to get in trouble. And they ask repeatedly. And all she does, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter. Actually pushes aside the doctor and jumps in. It doesn't matter where he's infected. It doesn't matter. And repeatedly asks and he gets, gets impatient and pushes back when they ask for a clear answer. And this is my point about her righteous indignation. Like, as if you're too dumb to understand what she's... This was the same person when asked about whether or not they knew that the, the thing we were seeing. And same point today, by the way. How do we know that we're seeing B4 and B5? They do not have the ability to do that. In They only have the ability to check those kind of things in very a few places in the country. I made this point back then. So to, are, when they find these things everywhere else, they're just testing for COVID-19, whatever that really means, which we know it's not what we were told. And then when they get whatever that positive shows, they just go, well, it must be the new thing that's everywhere. B4, it must be. I'm not even making that up, guys. That's an assumption that's made. And that they, they were forced to admit that. So when it came to, I believe it was Delta at the time, and they asked her, 
how do you know? I We know the CDC is saying that, but how do you know that Delta is what we're seeing? And she just goes, because the CDC said. And he goes, yes, yes, I know that. But how do we know that that's the case? The point he was getting at very clearly is, have you seen data or are you just blindly regurgitating what this very suspect and continually caught lying agency says? And she just said again, like confused, like because the CDC told us, like, I think she genuinely doesn't understand that that's ridiculous. But here we are again with her. That's the kind of pushback. Like you're the one that's causing a problem by asking very logical political questions. Now, whether she's too stupid to understand that she's wrong or is very astutely doing that to push back and hide behind that. Either way, it makes sense. It's ridiculous. And the point is, she then further clarified, we knew this was going to happen. At some point, everyone's going to get COVID. Well, no, you called that a fringe conspiracy theory, the great Barrington Declaration, when they first put that out and said, there's no reason for us to force this because this is going to happen. It's not that dangerous. Well, now that you've gotten what you want to some degree, well, now you make that argument. It's what's happened the entire time. Now that they put, now that it's acceptable for them, or rather now that they've gotten another thing ahead of it, they point back at that argument because now it's advantageous for them. This is just ridiculous hamster wheel round and round propaganda and lies. Their only people that buy this are people that are invested in a side playing team sport politics. Anybody else would be like, well, wait a minute. That's exactly what that huge group said, and they called a big group of conspiracy theorists. Well, as I said, funny how contact tracing goes right out the window unless it's us peons they're dealing with. Based on their fear porn COVID rhetoric, the very first thing that should matter is where and how this happened, right? So they can stop everybody else from being affected. But we know there is far more to this story. But based on their narrative, this is ridiculous. Now, I'm not saying we sh they should have done that or that's the right thing. I'm saying based on what they say, obviously that should have happened. The pushback of acting like it doesn't matter where it came from, that's exactly what she said, is counter to everything they've pushed, including what they push right now. And by the way, there's been other media that's already pointed out that Biden has shown coughing at press conferences like right before this. So he has symptoms. Aren't they supposed to immediately isolate just in case? That's what they tell everybody else. This is just ridiculous. And it shows that they don't even believe what they're saying. Now, let's go into some of these points. I want to show just a couple of them. I was going to go through this entirely, but it takes far too much time to do. And every th other thing they say is lies, fake news, misinformation, distorted reality. So it would take me forever to go through this like it used to. You guys remember it would take for it's, it's, it's entertaining. I used to do it, but it seems like a waste of time. Let me just go through a couple of quick points. One is the first thing they use to argue that it is definitive. I'm sure you'll catch it of our routine screening program for the president the SARS <laughs> gotta love YouTube censorship you gotta love it every time guys every time I show you this every time transcript up oh, doesn't work it doesn't work unless you go oh look at that weird this is this is me this is my either my IP address or whatever else guys it's not a coincidence but let me refresh they, hopefully they're probably hoping I lose my spot or whatever else but I know where we're going let's listen as you all know, I received a letter from the president's personal physician this morning. We released it to you shortly thereafter in the interest of transparency. Ah, transparency, huh? I have the letter here and I just want to uh, read it through uh, so we can get started before we get started. This morning, as part of our routine screening program for the president, the SARS COVID-2 virus. What? Yeah, let me ask you a question. Does she really need to read that? Are you confused about the SARS-CoV-2? How you read? Like, it's just, it's just embarrassing. 
the SAR, SAR, oh, SARS-CoV-2, got it, got it, okay. Like, you're, you you don't really know what you're reading. You don't know that it's SARS-CoV-2. You have to check your notes before you finish that. <laughs> uh, I just, I have such a short patience for incompetence, especially in government positions. Anyway, the point, again, not to, inter- I want to interject, is that the, the, the routine screening, right? That's the point of how they figure this out. Virus was detected by antigen testing. This result was subsequently confirmed by a PCR test. Do you realize how insulting to your intelligence it is that we've got to a point to where they're talking about confer- confirmation with a test that only gives you a yes or no answer? That only says yes, there is something present, and whether that is even the right thing, or whether it's not even whether or not you're contagious, or whether or not you'll ever be contagious, or whether or not you're ever going to be symptomatic, those things matter. Because you can have one speck of this pass through your body, never be contagious, never even be show symptoms or ever get sick. That happens. And yet this tests you and they say, yeah, there's something there. Yes. And then, by the way, the point is, if you go higher on a cycle threshold, you know, over 25, you're going to find things that aren't there. That's what Carrie Mollis would say, that you'll find everything in everything if you look if you keep going high enough. Over 40 cycle threshold, as numerous scientists, PhDs have made clear, you're, you have upwards of 95% false positives. That's why when they look at breakthrough cases, they bring it all the way back down to 25. There's no way you make sense of that other than cultivating an illusion on one side and the other. If it's simply about finding cases, it would be the same cycle force threshold everywhere. I've proven this to you. They use 25 for breakthrough cases. They use over 40 in most places to just test for COVID. That's the illusion in real time. Just so that's clear. Confirmed by PCR test. Make sure you read that properly right off your notes, just like Biden. But let's get to the other points. I don't know how long I'm going to go on this, but let's just see where I stop. (laughs) Same thing. Son of a gun. Good afternoon. You see how it's not just a one thing, right? It's, It's literally all the time. But anyway. Hard to wear a mask, a well-fitting mask, for 10 days after being exposed, possibly exposed to someone. You were on the plane. In terms of his physical extent. And last question, I'm sorry. Um, CDC guidance is people who are close contact who are up to date on the vaccine. Um, Hard to wear a mask, a well-fitting mask, for 10 days after being exposed. Okay, so the point here, guys, is that they're standing right next to each other in a room full of people, neither one of them wearing masks, and the secretary, the, the press secretary, was in the same plane with Biden. That's a fact. And they're not. They just, they, they, these things don't apply to them. Possibly exposed to someone. You were on the plane with the president yesterday. Others, members of staff, were not wearing masks. Yeah, that's why when somebody was asking me, do we have a list of close contact? I am not considered a close contact. Uh, according to the CDC guidance, I am not considered a close contact. Uh, no, here, here's where you get into the absurdity of saying, well, because CDC said. Okay, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you were holding hands, but if it was under 15 minutes, then you're not considered close contact. Well, that makes sense, right? But how about if we just are end up in the same venue as somebody who got sick in the beginning? Well, they would sweep you up in a quarantine, right? This is just self-serving nonsense. If you're in an enclosed space on an airplane, First of all, are we going to pretend that was less than 15 minutes? I don't believe that. But regardless, that you're not a close contact, that it's impossible for you to contract what you're telling us is super contagious. When you're in a plane for less than 15, I mean, this is just stupid. It is just a cover up. And and my my point here is watch how frustrated she gets. Like she's so impatient with people asking very obvious, logical questions. 
bend on that? Why she, I mean, I, I, I could expand on it myself. Uh, but according to the CDC guidance, guidance, yes, I was with the president, but it was under 15 minutes. I was with him in short uh, amount of time. I was wearing my mask the whole time. Uh, so to your question, Peter, when you were asking me about that, it's not that simple. It's not that easy. There's a process that has to go through. And just because I was with the president yesterday, you all saw me with the president, that I am not considered a close contact. God, okay. I'm, I'm not going to point it out again. I'm just listen to her. I, I can't stand how she doesn't speak properly. Like, it's just a level of basic intelligence. If you're going to present yourself in front of the world as representing this country, it the fact that she can't, it just drives me crazy. Now, again, guys, it doesn't matter what color you are or what gender you are. It's just dumb. And it drives me crazy that she stands up there and doesn't, and speaks improperly and doesn't seem to be able to fumble her words properly. Like, it's amazing this person is in this position. It blows me away. But there's a process that has to continue. What process? That's not even the right terminology. Is there the process is that there's guidelines that 15 minutes isn't enough? That's not a process. Like, I don't even think you know what you're saying. The point is that you're arguing the CDC guidelines say that if you're not around someone for 15 minutes or more, that you're not a close contact. But that doesn't even make sense. It just doesn't. But the point is simply that you're con- like, what about the fact that you're standing less than six feet away from the guy right now? Are you supposed to wear a mask? It's ridiculous. Yeah, emergency use authorization for patients who are at high risk for progression to severe disease. So clinically speaking, either because of this diagnosis or his age or any underlying conditions or otherwise, is the president at high risk for progression to severe disease? So um, if you look at the EUA of of the FDA, um, then it links to a CDC website that gives you what are the risk factors. um, and, And age is certainly one of them. And I have made the point that I think anyone over the age of 50 um, is somebody who is eligible for Paxlovid. And, and obviously, people under 50, if they have serious chronic disease as well. But I believe anybody over the age of 50 uh, is eligible for uh, Paxlovid. The president is above the age of 50. And then can you just confirm for us that there were no positive cases around the president in the last couple of days, um, or that he was not a close contact of anyone who was positive? Now, here's my point, guys. You, There is not another... That, that is the most valid question in this context that there could... That, that's Everybody knows it's a valid question, right? Has there been anything as of the last half an hour? How about the last 20... The last the period of time between which you started this thing and even right now? Has there been more cases? Like, the way that she stands up here and is frustrated with her shows you that she feels it's directed at her, that she's the one that's focused on, not that just a general reality that if... You know, where did he get sick from? Is this, is this even happening? It just frustrates me that they're not willing. And you, to jump the point here, what she's going to argue is that, that after being pushed a second time, that because we didn't say it, therefore there weren't any. And you're dumb for how you're asking. You should know because we didn't say it. Like, that's so so Orwellian. Do you know how often the White House hides information? You know how often these press secretaries decide step the, the questions and don't give you the information? And yet she's going to get she's going to lash back out of this woman for saying you're asking a question that you should know because I didn't tell you there were contacts. Therefore, you should know they're not like that's just Orwellian. You can as far as you can get. You can answer this, but yeah, no, I've already answered. I've ever, no, I did. I... Now I'm going to go back real quick. Listen to the question. Has there been other contacts? Well, I'll just say, it. has there been other contacts around the president? People that have gotten sick. 
Listen to what she says her answer was already. This is her already answer. Answered it. I told you what our protocols are. And we have said, I see, <laughs> I told you what our protocols were. And as, as we have been committed since the last July, uh, we disclose when the president or one of the, one of the four principles principal is a close contact of a staff who tested positive as defined by the CDC. This is def defined again by the CDC. Oh, when he tests positive as we are doing today and being very transparent about that. That's a no. Right. That's not what I'm saying. You see, you see, she's just trying to clarify. Like, so is that a no then? Like, she doesn't even want to say that. She just wants to say, because we didn't say no, therefore you should assume the answer is no. My God. I am saying that we, when when there is a close when there when there is a close contact uh, to the to the president, we actually give that information out, and we actually share uh, that that individual who's a staff member if they have tested positive. That has been that has actually been our uh, our protocol since past this past July. So yep, yet she refuses to say no. Like that is political doublespeak, guys. Oh, here. So we didn't receive anything like that. So am I to assume that there is. There, there was nothing that happened. There was no positive case where the president was a close contact. Yes, you're 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 safe to assume that because that's what we have been committed to doing since the last July, which is about a year ago. Wow. I'm going to leave it there just because I'm going to go off. I can't stand this stuff. I get so frustrated with how childishly stupid this is and how willfully they sidestep things and nobody points it out. In the room, I mean. Like, yeah, you're safe to assume that. Is that good journalism to assume based on the absence of a statement? Where in the world are we, guys? I mean, my God, how are these people? Like, look at the people in the front row. Oh, they're so sure and so, like, I just love looking at these people in the front row. You know, like, they're just, like, they think, they're so, oh, there's real journalists. And they're so serious and they're so real. And they're all just blindly reporting what they're told. <laughs> it's just so, so damn frustrating. But going forward on, let me see here, guys. Actually, there's, for unspoken reasons, I think I'm going to come back to this later. But I will include this for, in, so you guys can see. I'm just I'm I'm on a, a limited time here for reasons you probably can expect, but there there's some studies near that are important. I'm going to go over this in the monkeypox one in the next show, but just it's I won't even get into it, so I don't have to explain. But there's some important discussions coming out about how masks are doing what you already know, hurting people and are increasing illness. But I'll leave the monkeypox point till next time because that's what carries over. But to wrap to finish out, guys, <clears throat> I want to just briefly point to this, and I'll I'll read over this again tomorrow. COVID cases are skyrocketing, skyrocketing, excuse me, I can't talk, skyrocketing again. States have no new plans. The whole point of this, which I will read tomorrow, is that the whole point is that people aren't responding anymore. Right? What, what are they doing? They're not listening to us. They, this is why we need men. The point is, guys, that's how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to tell people what you think because the experts and so on, and you let them make, I don't know, their own choices you know, freedom and such. But what's crazy is they're framing the fact that people have, or the illusion right now that they have these choices as the problem. Every article you're seeing is that people just don't want to listen. And underneath that is the hint that we need to start forcing them because we're all going to die. And that's what they keep pushing. It's frustrating. Now, I think I've just, I, I'm just going to leave it here, guys, I think, because there's a lot of other points I was going to make that will take a little bit longer than I want. Wasn't including the title, but we'll focus on this again. You guys know where I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm 90% sure I'll be live tomorrow. The problem here, guys, is that this is something that they're hyping 
And the argument is that they've known that this is the next thing they were going to go to. This clip here from CNN talks about the fact that they knew the, that they, the whole focus was getting Trump out of office, whether or not they stated that. So they've decided for you what the right thing is as a media organization. And now they're going to, oh, well, next thing we're going to do is push climate change. Now, whether you think that's right or not, that's not what their job is. Their job is to report the facts, not decide what's right for you and then slant their coverage in an area that convinces you or manipulates you into agreeing with them, even if you think it's the right thing. That's alarming, but that's where we are today. That's the problem. Let me do this really quickly as we finish this out so I can look at where we are. So I think that, yeah, the last couple of points I was going to get into is regarding the climate change. I'm going to save that Tony Heller clip because it's an outstanding clip to get on to finish. But yeah, so we'll leave it there. And I'm going to end with this clip that I've played a lot, actually, in in the end of my interviews you've seen in the past. And this is just kind of, a, I might even just for the time, I might even play the whole thing. I'll see how it goes. But it's called In Shadow. And with the idea of the antidepressant conversation in the beginning and the opioid conversation and the injections and everything else that's happening, this video is just so spot on with where we actually are. And yes, it's an animation, it's a video, but I really think it kind of highlights the problem. But sorry to rush out at the end there, guys. There's you know obvious reasons, but I've got plenty more coming. I have interviews coming up. Oh, yeah, right. So I'm asking if I ever think they top Pasaki. <laughs> Each one of these people have their own ridiculousness, right? All of them are, are so crazy in their own way, but you know, they all know their marching orders are to hide certain realities as often as possible. But thank you for being here, guys. It's just so important that we continue to call this stuff out. And stuff like that antidepressant conversation is just, it's horrifying to see how this is happening in real time. And yet we're still being attacked for pointing out or just asking questions about things that are currently happening. That's the way this tends to go. They won't allow it until the corporate media pretends to be talking about it when it's already past the point when you can stop it. That's how this works. And then too many people in the paradigm will go, oh, Tucker Carlson, he's, he's breaking the truth out. When people like independent media or the Free Thought Project have been pointing this out for five years, right? That's how this tends to go. And the independents out there doing similar stuff today. The idea, guys, is that it's time to stand up now, not tomorrow, not waiting until the next big person can make a big statement about it. But now stand up, make your social media post, talk about this, march to the streets. I don't advocate violence, but say something. Make it known that you don't agree with what's happening because it's not going to stop until we stop it. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.
burn 